Well, before we, we, we dig around into the, into the message tonight, we just wanted to give an update on where we were with, with Faith Promise. If you were here, you know, uh, last weekend we had the big reveal, right? Hipster Pastor Fred was here, once-in-a-lifetime appearance. So, so, so Faith Promise, if you're, if you're visiting with us, uh, just to give you an update, so to, 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 to believe God for the resources that we know we need for the Williamsburg campus, for missions, for our building fund, to our plans for, for relocation, finding our geographic identity, we, we launched a faith promise. And what that simply means is we ask everyone to pray. And God will give you a number. And then when he gives you that number, that you make a promise that when he provides those resources, that you're going to give it to the Faith Promise campaign. So, so it's called Faith Promise is, is because you make a promise and you believe by faith that he's going to provide it. And, you know, we've been reading story after story after story after story about how resources have come in. And so we're approaching, just in six months' time, we're approaching $30,000 given through Faith Promise. I know. Come on. You can clap for that. It's amazing. It's amazing. So... So, so I'm just going to do a little bit. I got some giveaways here from, from, from uh, the, the outfit that I will never wear ever again. So the, these are for David Godwin for helping the glasses. Come on. The T-shirt is for Malcolm. You can, I'll, give this, I'll give this to you. You can make sure Malcolm gets that. Come on. Come on. All right. The, the pants. Pants. KG. Where's KG? All right. And the shoes. Everybody knows who hangs with him, knows who's going to get these. Who, who's getting these? Cord. Yes, who's got more shoes than most of the ladies in the church. So these are for you, Cord. Only worn one time. Only worn one time. With socks, though. With socks. So you're, you're safe. You're safe. So, so, so this is what we're going to do, right? So, so $50,000 in, in faith promises came in. So now that we're getting close to the end, we're, we're not sure we're going to hit that $50,000 mark. So the finance team met this week. We talked with the governance team. So this is what we're going to do to adjust midstream. We're, we're going to pull back the ultimate target to $40,000, okay? And then we're going to extend the faith promise period until the end of January, which is our anniversary service. So we celebrate our seventh year anniversary. So that's going to give just a few more weeks for us to stand in this place of faith. We're going to believe that, that this last $10,000 is going to come in. And, uh, and you know that we've set goals, right? And so when we hit 10, the governance team did the Buffalo Wild Wings Challenge. You saw that. When we hit 20, the college students got to do a makeover with Vanessa and I. We, we've survived that together as a church family. So when we hit 30... We get to do a fear factor for the student ministries team, right? So you understand how strategic that was, right? We said if you're not nice to us in the makeover, we may not be nice to you. It's a leadership one-on-one right there. So, and then so, so for 40000 for 40000 Tim Rogers, elder here at the City Life Church, said that he would shave his head. And he actually has hair, unlike me. So it's a sacrifice. So, so this week, our media team has been putting together with some, some Photoshop. What could he possibly... Are you ready? Is Tim in here? Is Tim, is Tim in here? All right, he had to step out, which is great, because then he'll have no idea what's going to happen. So, all right, you ready? Here it comes. There it is. So, so if you'd like to see that, right, that's, that's where we're headed. That's, that's, where, that's where we're headed. And so, and you know, for, so for the, if we reached 50, Juice and I were going to get City Life tattoos. It would be my first ink. So Juice has now decided he's going to get a tattoo of Tim Rogers' ball. I said, I think that might be a little extreme. So, so, so we're going to move that back down to 40 also. So if we hit the $40,000 mark, he's going to shave his head, and then Juice and I are going to get some City Life ink that we're going to wear proudly. So we're excited about, uh, about 
coming into the home stretch, we like to have fun at the City Life Church, but all that fun is for a very sacred purpose. The campus that was launched a year ago in Williamsburg, the missions that we're excited, we're going to be talking about that in the, in the next several weeks about how we, what we see happening here uh, through missions. We want to touch the world through the City Life Church. And, uh, and then we're, we're just excited about this idea of finding our geographic identity, renting here. We just, we, we just, we're going to talk more about it at the anniversary service. We believe that God is just stirring our hearts for what 2013 could mean for us. We don't know what that's going to look like. We just have a, a sense of faith that's stirring deep inside, and those resources are going to go towards those sacred purposes that we know that God has asked us to accomplish together as a church family. So, all right, let's dig in. Oh, let's do this too. Somebody donated. Don't you just love the generosity of this church? Somebody came up and said, hey, these are two $15 Starbucks gift cards. So I'm going to give one to Brooke Croce, one of our, one of our CNU alumni. CNU alumni, and then I'm going to give one to Mike and Hillary, so Mike's back from deployment, so this is for Mike, come on, nice. So as you know, we've been in a series on grace, been in a series on grace, I think we're going to wrap up this series tonight, and I'm undecided yet, I'm still praying through that, so I'm leaning towards next weekend, just speaking, just casting some vision, talking about who we are as a church, some of our distinctives, kind of setting up the the, the business meeting at the, at the end of February and then setting up a little bit at the anniversary service. You know, at the anniversary service every year, we launch what we feel like God's spoken to us about our theme for 2013. And so I might do some, some foundational stuff. I haven't worked it out yet, so I'm still looking for some direction. So, so this may or may not be the last weekend of this series. So, so, uh, but, but four weeks ago, we made this statement. The theme of Christmas was Santa Claus is that you get what you deserve, right? He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He knows who's been naughty. He knows who's been nice. And the presents that you get are based on your behavior. But that's not the theme of Christmas with Jesus. The theme of Christmas with Jesus is that he gives what no person could ever earn. He gives what no person could ever earn. And, and we've been working out every week. We've been reading this verse out of Colossians. Colossians is such a powerful book. A powerful book. If you're a new follower of Christ, you should read this. There's so much about what we believe is here. This is Colossians. I want to start in verse 3 and read through verse 6. We've been doing it every week to launch our messages. It says, we always pray for you. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to some friends of his in a town, ancient city called Colossae. It says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so... We launched the series talking about the garment of grace. You can get these on the podcast. We're going to get all the notes on the sermon soon. But we launched by giving a definition of grace. The grace is the complete and total acceptance of who we are, as we are. That's why the life verse that you saw in the video announcements comes out of John. It speaks of this seamless garment that Jesus wore that was removed from him before he died on the cross, which is pointing back to the garment that the high priest wore before he went into the holiest of holies. And Jesus took that garment off so he could suffer judgment on our behalf and he gives that garment to humanity and that's a garment that he wants to give to you. It's seamless because he doesn't give his grace to you in small
small pieces. He gives it to you all at once. The complete and total acceptance of who we are as we are. And then the next week, we went into the demand of grace, which you don't think about this word associated with grace, but it's an important part of grace, that there's a demand that comes with grace. Some of our weightiest moments will be when grace demands that we bear the heaviness of the lives of others. And so we dug around in the story of, of Simon of Cyrene and how the guard seized him and forced the cross of Jesus upon him. Sometimes grace seizes us. It takes hold of us. God picks us and says, will you help this person bear the weight of this burden because they're not going to make it by themselves. It's oftentimes situations that we would not choose. It's oftentimes circumstances that we would not willingly step into, but grace seizes us and God asks us to bear the weight of the burdens of others. We, we love to look into the narrative portions of Scripture because it's not just history. It is deeply instructive. The stories of the Bible are filled with such rich truth as we've been finding in this series. And then last week we talked about the gift of grace, the grace that you and I can give. This is out of Vine's Expository Dictionary, a friendly attitude towards another person that leads to an act of kindness, benefiting that same person who deserved punishment. And we talked about that in order for your act of kindness to rise to the level of a biblical standard of grace, it has to fulfill all three parts of these, which is really a restatement of John 3.16. For God so loved, he had a friendly attitude towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave an act of kindness, his son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Come on, we deserve punishment but have everlasting life. All through this series, we've been exploring all the different parts of grace, the nuances of grace. It's such a big concept, and we're going to do our last one, I believe, tonight. We'll see. But to get us moving in the right direction, I want to tell you a story. It's a story I love to tell around Christmas time. I shared it at Hannah and in David's wedding, they got married in December just last year, right? You guys just celebrated one year. Come on, of marriage. Come on, it's good. So, so several years ago, when we were still at the church that, that we were at before coming here, just outside of Richmond Mechanicsville Christian Center, I was there for 17 years. Uh, church where I made a decision for Christ when I was in my early 20s and ended up going on staff there for, for those last eight years. And, and so I'm at this men's breakfast and I'm standing next to one of the founding members. So at the time, I've known this guy for, for 15 years. His name's Earl Clements, one of the founding members. And we're standing there and, and uh, I've got a plate of food in my hand and he looks over at me and he says, this is what he says, I never realized you were so tall. He's like, Earl, I've known you for 15 years. 15 years, I've, I've known, are you telling me that just now you're realizing that I'm that much taller than you are? So, so when, so, so, so I'm a little bit tall, really admit that. And so Vanessa's family's not especially tall, right? And so, so when Derek was born, I used to like to have a lot of fun with him. So when Derek was started talking, right, he was old enough to talk, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the suspense movies, A Sixth Sense had, had, had come out, right, with, uh, Oh, golly, my old brain. Thank you, Bruce Willis. And so, you know, the line from that was, I see dead people, right? So I taught Derek to say, whenever we were around Vanessa's family, this is the phrase I taught him, I see short people, right? <laughs> so it endeared me to my in-laws, endeared me to my, to my in-laws, right? But, but, but this is what I, I know, that sometimes I forget how tall that I am, and, and it 
happened in one of the moments, not a proud moment as a, as a parent, years ago when Claire was just this, was this little girl. She was probably as old as, as Abigail, uh, uh, the, uh, the Adams' little girl, and, and she had done something wrong, and I had, was having a bad day, so I was frustrated, right? A lot of our parenting moments are, 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 that are not good come out of cathartic moments, just getting our own frustrations out on our, on our children. And so, so she's, she's done something that she's not supposed to do. I don't even remember what it is, and so I'm standing there, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm raising my voice. I'm irritated, and all of a sudden, and I see this expression on her face of fear, which is not the expression we should be creating on the, on the faces of our children. Even in moments of discipline, they shouldn't be afraid of us. And so I, I see this, and I feel terribly guilty. It's in the moment I realize that this is terrible. So, and I'm thinking to myself, I must be a giant to her. Are you with me? I mean, I'm six foot three, and, and there she is. She's so tiny, and, I'm, and she's looking up at me, and she's thinking, this guy is enormous, and he is angry. And so I, I get down on my knees, and, and I, I make myself as small as I can, right? At, at 190 pounds and, and six foot three, I, I said, I've got to get as small as I can in this moment. And, and, I, and I'm saying, I've got to fit somehow, some way into her world. And so I, I get down so I can look at her right in the eye. I lower my voice, paying attention to the countenance of my face. And guess what happened? The countenance on her face, it just completely changed. It just, it went away. And I said I was sorry. That's a part of your parenting, too. If you're not saying sorry to your children, then that's, right, because you're making mistakes. Whether you, you, That's part of your conversation. Your kids learn how to say they're sorry from your interactions with them. Just saying. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing to her, asking for her forgiveness, and then I'm talking about what she had done, and now I'm, I've moved out of something cathartic and into something that's real parenting, and, and, and give her a hug, and we pray together, and it was just a, it was a precious moment. It was something that turned out not so good that ended up as something absolutely wonderful, a memory that I'll always have. And I love to share that story at Christmas because it is the picture of one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible. Next to John 3.16, you might be able to argue, maybe you didn't know the reference, but you've heard these words. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. So Israel is a new nation, and God says to Moses, the leader of this nation, hey, I want you to teach this blessing to your brother Aaron. He's going to teach it to his sons, who are the priests, and they're going to speak this blessing over Israel forever. And it goes like this, the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. First time those words were ever spoken was in a moment of instruction where God says, Moses, teach this to your brother so that it could be spoken over my people. And as we begin to look at this word bless, which I've under, underlined here, we find something interesting. It's the word barak in Hebrew, and it means to bow, which is a little bit curious, isn't it? Because we look at that and we say, is God really saying is God really saying that, that this is the blessing that I want to give to this nation, that they're supposed to long for me to bow to them? Right? Because that doesn't seem right, right? It doesn't feel right. We, we, this, that can't be what he means. But then we begin to study the, the language of Hebrew a little bit, and we begin to realize that this is a contextual word, right? It's, it's one word. It's the same spelling. But depending on how you use it, it has a very different meaning, right? You have any words like that in our, in our modern-day society? Right when I was growing up, right, bad was one of those words. I don't know. Right, it has two. Sometimes bad means good, and sometimes bad means bad. It was very confusing. Right, when I was in high school too, the word fat had two meanings. Right, it could mean heavy or it could mean really good, which you had to be careful with that one because you could really get yourself into trouble. Right, 
So there's words like that today. Are there words like that today, Pastor Justin? Not, not so much, right? They've just, the next generation said, let's not be so confusing, like all the generations that have come before us. This idea of contact, let's just say what we mean. But in the Hebrew, this word barak, depending on how you use it, has a very different meaning. It always means to bow, so that when the lesser, in regards to the greater, it really means to get on your knees, like the story that we told wrapping up the worship service where someone bowed in a moment of prayer. It's one of the ways that we posture our body to reflect the deference of our heart. It's a great way. If you don't kneel when you pray, you should try it sometimes because it reminds you who the greater one is. It changes your attitude in moments of prayer. It really means to bow. It means to recognize that I'm the lesser one in this relationship. But when God barracks, when he bows, it means the story that I shared with you. It means that he chooses of his own will in a moment where he recognizes, not because he's made a mistake like we make a mistake as parents, but he realizes they, they can't access, I'm too big. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a way to fit into their world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on their level as best as I can so that they have an access to me that they would otherwise never be able to. To obtain. And all of a sudden, as we begin to dig around in this word, which I heard for the first time at, at, uh, at Reverend Earl Palmer, who's the former pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington, he began to dig around and teach on this. And I began to realize as he taught that this is one of the greatest prophecies of the coming of Christ in all of Scripture. It's often overlooked this way. It's, it's often not included in one of the prophecies of Christ. But when we begin to understand this word blessed, we realize this is telling of the coming of Jesus. This is the Christmas story right here in Numbers, which makes sense. Why God says this is the first blessing that I want the priests to learn to speak over this nation. Because I want them to understand that part of their destiny as a nation is to give the world a Savior. So he says, the Lord bless you. He's saying, there is going to come a time when I, in all of my divinity, come on, it's the spoken word that David so eloquently gave, I'm going to fit myself into your world. I'm going to bless you with my presence. And in that moment, he says, keep you. And some translations render it and protect you. And that had special meaning for them in ancient times because if you were the dignitary visiting from another country, a king in a, in, a, in a different country, as you entered into his court, you became under his protection and there's nothing that they would not do to save your life. So God says, hey, when you come into my presence, I'm going to keep you safe. There's, there's nothing in this world that can touch you. There's nothing in this world yeah, it might harm this physical body, but the part of you that matters, the eternal part of who you are, nothing can take that from you, from me, forever, because I'm the king of the universe. He says, the, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, right? He's saying, he's saying, I want to make sure that you get it right. He's saying, when I come to the world at some point in the future, I'm not going to come as, some, as, as, a, as the deity that I am. I'm not going to come as the spirit that I am. That's how it's going to end up. But at first, I want you to know, I'm going to come in such a way that you're going to be able to look at my face. I'm going to come in such a way. I'm going to barack. I'm going to fit into humanity so that I can walk among you so that we can look at each other. As we begin to read this verse through a 
prophetic lens. It changes the way we see it. He says, and be gracious to you. It's Matthew 20, 28. He's not coming to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, when I come into the world, I'm not going to establish a political kingdom. I'm not going to establish a throne. I'm going to give my, I'm going to ransom my life to save the world. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. He could smile upon us. We don't have to endure his judgment because of the graciousness of the gift of the life of his son and give you his peace for all eternity, a restored relationship with the creator of the universe. A relationship that was once fractured is now restored. It is the greatest prophecy of the coming of Christ in all of scripture right here in Numbers chapter 6. Can you imagine? The excitement and the enthusiasm in heaven as the time approached, right? So how excited do you get? How many people here have a, a, a days until Christmas countdown of sorts, right? Do you have something like that? You're keeping track of the days of Christmas. Vanessa does that, right? Asking our kids, how many days left till Christmas, right? There's, there's an excitement and an enthusiasm because we know that there's a day that's coming that's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for other people. Hopefully you're just excited about the gifts that you're going to give as the ones that you're going to receive. And if not, that's okay because you're under grace and you're not on the list like Santa. Can you imagine? the countdown that was taking place in heaven for the moment that Jesus was going to be born. Can you imagine the conversations amongst the angels? How much longer? Only a thousand more years. We're going to get there, right? This prophecy in Numbers, 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. And For you note takers, you could read Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is Isaiah speaking prophetically about there's a virgin that's going to conceive and give birth to a child. He gives this prophecy of how he's going to, that's 700 years out, right? So you can, as you're reading through scripture, you, you feel the momentum and the excitement that's building 1,500 years, 700 years. And then we come to Luke and where the angel Gabriel finds Mary and says, hey, you're the one. She knew what that meant because she had been raised her whole life reading all of these prophecies, reading all of these stories. She knew that the Messiah was going to come and she knew that he was going to come through someone who had never been with a man. And then you get to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 7. 30 years after the birth of Christ, Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, do not ever forget the sacredness of what happened, that Jesus emptied himself of all of his glory. It's called the great kenosis chapter, which means to empty yourself out, that Jesus barocked. He got down and he fit himself into our world. Not so that we could serve, he, we could serve him, but so that he could serve us and offer his life as a ransom for many. So, so just all of that to set up where we're going tonight. We've been talking about all these aspects of grace. And this last one that, that might wrap up our series is this idea that there is a veil of grace. So we've talked about the garment of grace. We've talked about the demand of grace. We've talked about the gift of grace. But there is a veil of grace to grace, a veil to grace. And, and to help us understand what this means, there's a veil that Jesus ended through his death on the cross. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there, flip there, however you get there. I'm very tactile. I still like paper. Anybody else there with me? Come on. Got to write on stuff and highlight. All right, here we go. So this is Exodus 
33. Oh, this is a good story. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 17. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. Come on, don't we long to hear God say that to us? I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Some translations render that glory. Will pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, which means the Lord, before you. For I will show you mercy. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock, and as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hands. So I was at the gym this morning over at, at Planet Fitness, right? They all wear those t-shirts, P. Fred, which I like to think means Pastor Fred. I'm like, hey, these are all my people, right? And so, and so they have these chairs. If you've ever been in there, they have these chairs that are shaped like this massive hand. Right, So I was in there today, I saw that. I was this close to asking the manager, could I borrow one of those chairs right for tonight? So, so, but I didn't, because they would think, wow, this guy's really weird. So I, and, and that's not supposed to be our witness as Christians in the world. So just in case you're confused about that. So they have these chairs, and they have these huge hands. And I was thinking about this part of the service. That, so there's Moses, right? You, you understand the importance of this moment, right? The creator of the universe says to him, my literal presence, all of my glory, is going to pass by you. No one has ever been, no human being has ever been this close to me, Moses. And because of the sinfulness of your humanity, you, this, is, this, is, this is the best I can do for you because otherwise you're just going to explode, right? Our kids love to play with fire, right? Anybody have kids that have a fascination with fire? So we've got a fire pit in the backyard, and sometimes we make a fire, and that's the best gift that we could ever give to them. And, and, and sometimes you can get a leaf, right? You don't even have to get into the fire. You just have to get it close enough to the fire. Boom! You know, it, it catches. That's what it would be like if we got too close to God. His holiness, our humanity, they're not two things that belong with each other. So, so God says, hey, when you hide in the cleft of the rock, I'm going to have to put my hand over you so that you're not consumed by my goodness. It's the first instance of a veil of grace that we see. God says, I need to cover you if I'm going to get this close to you. I, I, I want to be near you, but I don't want my presence to have a destructive result when it's supposed to be a life-giving result. You with me? All right. So let's look at Exodus 26, and we're going to see another veil of grace. Right? Many of you know where we're going here. Exodus 26, verse 31. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorated with blue and purple and scarlet. Now, these colors are important because it's a prophetic picture of Christ, which we really got into a lot in the first one, so you can get that on the podcast. But this idea of blue represents heaven, which speaks to the origin of Christ. That's one of the reasons why we believe in the divinity of Christ, because no other religious leader started out in heaven. Every other religious leader of every other major religion of the world was born into the world just like you and me, but not Jesus. There's a pre-existence that he had. And so part of this color blue is to remind us that Jesus lived in heaven before he came to earth. But this color blue is also given to remind us of our ultimate destination if we embraced who Christ is and heaven has promised to us. 
And then it says, and also you need to use some threads of purple, which is the color of kings. And so this color is woven in to remind us that Jesus has the authority to tell you what you want to do, whether you want to do it or not. That's part of our relationship. It's not just believing that he exists. Come on, every demon in hell believes that Jesus exists. What makes us stand apart is that we're submitted to his will. It's purple, his authority. And scarlet is the reminder of Jesus' death on the cross, that his blood is going to be shed for you and for me. And with skillfully embroidered cherubim, which are like angels, heavenly beings, hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood and overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Jesus, I mean, God was very detail-oriented. You with me? Hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. And this curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. What's God saying? He's saying, hey, people can't, can't get too close to me because my holiness will destroy them because of their humanity. And so we see this pattern of God using veils of grace to separate him from us, which is a great dilemma for God because he's our father and he doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to be with us and he doesn't just want to be with us, right? We know he wants to be in us. And so, so here we have all throughout history that, that God is saying, hey, I long to be with you and I know that your greatest need is to be with me, but, but if I give you what I know that you need and if I allow you to step into the place of my presence that I know that you long to have, it's not going to turn out so good for for you in the end. So there's going to be a veil. It was my hand with Moses. It was a curtain in the holiest of holies. And then this next one here, when we begin to read in the Gospel of Matthew, if you wanted to turn there and read it for yourself, you would find that something happened to the veil of Exodus 26 when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Now this isn't a shower curtain, right? You're with me. That's hanging in here. It's 60 feet tall, it's 30 feet wide, and it's four inches thick. From the top to the bottom to remind us that it wasn't torn by the hands of man, which there's no hands that could ever tear that thing. God says, hey, now this veil can be opened up. The veil of grace does not need to be here anymore because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of man. And now through Christ, you can come and stand in my presence because you, like the high priest, now have a garment of grace that you put upon yourself. It's why Paul said that we can boldly come into the presence of God. It doesn't mean with a sense of entitlement. It means that we can come with a sense of confidence that no longer is our humanity subject to his holiness because of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. The veil of grace that had existed from the beginning of time was now wide open for you and for me. It goes on to say, if you read in Matthew chapter 27, that the power of God was so unleashed into the world in that moment that the earth shook, that rocks cracked. And it says that saints who had been buried in Israel, in just outside the city, because the cemeteries were outside the city, the, the power of God was so, it, it resurrected dead people from the grave. And those people began to walk throughout the city telling people their story. Can, can you imagine? Can, right? That's just on my list. Can I say that when I get to heaven? Can I talk to the people here that had a conversation, right, with one of the corpses that was walking around in their grave clothes, wondering how they got there? Wow, the city's really changed, right? Come on. 
the power of we're, we're given those details they're not fanciful myths to give exaggeration because God's insecure come on these are real details from history that happen that God wants us to understand that you and I, the dead parts of who we are, are desperate to be exposed to the power of God so that they can be raised to life. Your hurts, your pains, your brokenness, your disappointments are like the bodies that are buried outside of the city and the walls of your life. And the power of God begins to touch those things and makes you alive again. May it be for all of us. So let me share this thought with you. See, The veil of grace isn't gone. Because the veil is not a thing, but rather a principle. Let me read that again. The veil of grace is not gone. Because the veil is not a thing, but rather a principle. Another grace that we are desperate to be given. I want to suggest to you that the concept, the idea, the principle of the veil of grace is still just alive in the world today as it's always been, and you and I should be awfully glad that it still exists. Look at this verse here in John chapter 15. I had to break out lots of Bibles for tonight. Come on. I don't even know if I'm in the right one. Oh, there we go. The gold ribbon. John 15. 22, 15, 22. Listen to what Jesus says. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. The one who, now, now they have no excuse for their sin. Now, now sometimes we blow past verses like this, but, but sometimes we read the Bible, we've got to slow down a little bit. Right? That's, a, that's a big thing. That's a weighty thing that Jesus is saying. It doesn't say that they weren't going to have sin because they changed the way that they lived or somehow in that moment of decision they chose differently, whether it was a sin of, of omission or a sin of commission, whether it was they not doing something that they should or doing something that they shouldn't. Jesus said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. Even though they did the same thing. Even though the, the, the choice that they made, the decision that they made. But, but he says, now that I've come and spoken that I've come and spoken to them, they were without excuse. See, there's a veil of grace that exists in this world that you and I are desperate for it to exist because God does not judge us based on the revelation that he's not yet given to us. I don't know about you, but I want a God who treats me that way. It's, it's in parenting, which we love the Growing Kids God's Way curriculum that we use here every year. If you parent small children young children, formative ages, and you've not yet taken that, come on, I'm just going to say it, it's irresponsible. Okay? You're, you're born with the ability to give birth to the children. You're not born with the knowledge to raise them. And it doesn't have to be that curriculum, right? But there should be some formal training that you say, I'm going to give myself to this learning because I'm responsible for the raising of these children. It's, it's, it's one of the most sacred responsibilities you will ever have as a human being is to raise children. And, and so, one of the things you learn is that good parenting doesn't punish children for childishness. We punish for foolishness. Now, those are two very different things because childishness means that they're just being children. That they're doing things they don't even understand that it's right or wrong yet. There's just, there's no, they have no concept, right? 
So we can't punish them for childishness because that's just punishing them for what they are. Now we punish for foolishness, which is after they've learned, after they know, after they have the potential to make a different decision. I was reading on Facebook this weekend and, and a family in the church posted this story of they were in the kitchen, they heard this loud crash and they heard their daughter say, so-and-so did it, right? right? We learned that early on, right? How to, how to do this. And so the parent comes into the room and the child looks at them and said, no, I did it. Come on. That's a powerful moment, Right? That's a child recognizing I, I, I have an opportunity to tell the truth. Even as a little child, they'd already learned the lesson of tell the truth. The difference between childishness and foolishness. God doesn't punish us, teach us our lessons. Right? There's consequences sometimes that God gives to us. We want a God that, that, that chastens those that he loves, as the Bible says. He doesn't do that when we're being childish, but he does it when we're being foolish. He doesn't remove the principle of reciprocity. He lets us walk through consequences in our lives sometimes. He lets us learn our lessons because he wants us to be transformed into the person that we've been created to be and to fulfill the destiny that he's called us to have. And so some of that means letting us walk out some hard things in life because of the foolishness of our choices. But he does not judge us. He does not judge us for what we do not understand. It's a veil of grace that you and I desperately want God to leave in this world. So what's another one? Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 47. Luke 12, 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it, will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will only be beaten lightly. Now listen to what Jesus says. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much, and even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the veil of grace. That he does not judge the fruitfulness of your life based on a standard that belongs to somebody else. He knows the giftings that he's given to you. He knows the calling that he's put upon your life. And he doesn't measure you against these people over here or these people over there. He measures your fruitfulness of your life first based on the revelation and the understanding that you have of what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. And then he also measures your life and judges your life based on the giftings that you have. So it's possible for a person who's been given very little to actually surpass someone who's been given much much because they're the ones that are living up to their potential. I think we might be surprised. We might be surprised when we get to heaven and some of the people that are the most celebrated. Now, the idea of celebrating people in heaven might not be a part of your theology. It's part of ours. But God doesn't look at you and say, you know what? Billy Graham, you know, he was a lot better preacher than you were. Right? He's not going to look at you and say, that darling check, man, she could really sing, but you, not so much. Right? Is that how you want God to treat you? If you grew up in a healthy home, is that how your parents raised you? Did they measure you based on the talents and the giftings of this other child? 
maybe the best this child can do is a B minus. If they study their hardest, give their all, that's just the best that they can give. And this child over here just A's. Don't, I just don't like those people. I'm just saying that, right? They just... It just effortlessly flows. I was never one. I, if I was going to get any kind of decent grade, I had to work for it. Then there's just other people, right? They sleep through the class and they get an A on the test. If you've got different children with different capacities for, 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 for intellectual abilities, right? We've got to parent those kids different. We can't put this standard on this kid because every kid is different. And I don't know about you, but I want God to raise me that way as his child, as my father in heaven. I want God to understand the giftings that he's given to me. I want God to understand the potential that I have. And I want to be measured and I want to be, be judged. When Jesus died on the cross, all judgment didn't go away. The eternal judgment that went away that we deserve to spend an eternity apart from him, that went away. But God still does a lot of judging as we begin to read in this book. And we want him to do that because he's a good father. He's shaping us and teaching us. He, he wants our lives to be fruitful. There's pruning that comes. That's another sermon for another time about us being the branches tied into the root. John chapter 15. Come on. He looks at you and he says, I know the gifts that I've given to you. I know the potential that you have. And I'm going to challenge you based on what you're capable of, not measured against anybody else, but just the dream that I've dreamed for you. It's a veil of grace that you and I never want to see go away. All right, let me give you one more. This is out of 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Right, 1 Corinthians 13, all the love part of that chapter gets all the attention, doesn't it? But there's, there's another verse in here that, that we need to, to, to focus in on. It's this idea that we don't know everything in this life, and we're not ever going to understand it all. So, so Paul's trying to help his friends in the city of Corinth to understand this. And so he says to them, hey, it, it's like looking at life through the reflection of a mirror. It's, it, another translation renders it, it's like looking through a clouded glass. Right? You ever, you ever people who wear glasses like me, you put your glasses on, right, and they fog up and it's hard to see. Or maybe you get into your, your car and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the defrost isn't maybe working the way that it's supposed to and it's hard to see. It's raining hard. Sometimes life is that way. It just it seems clouded. And we, and we can't gain clarity as much as we would want to have it. Paul says, hey, that's not going away, just so you know. There's going to be mysteries in this world. There's always going to be the question, why? And then some of those answers, we're never going to have them. We're just not ever going to have them. And that's not God trying to frustrate us. That's God loving on us because there's a veil of grace. Because he expects you to live according to the revelation that you've been given. And oftentimes when we're asking the question why, it's not because God's ignoring us. It's not because he's too busy helping somebody else. It's not because he doesn't know the answer himself. And so he's putting us off until he can get a messenger to bring him the information, right, that we're asking for. No, no, no. There's a veil of grace. And sometimes we're angry at God because it feels like he's not answering our question. Sometimes we're frustrated with God because it feels like he's not listening. And whenever we find ourselves in those moments, may it be that we would remember tonight and what we're talking about here that God says, hey, I'm not ever going to give you the answer to that question because you're not ready to walk in the accountability of that revelation. Paul talks about the mysteries that God revealed to him. But you know what? When that mystery was revealed to him, the responsibility of his life elevated. 
You might look around at the landscape of Christianity and see people like T.D. Jakes and Darlene Shack and Kim Walker and Stephen Furtick, and maybe you've thought for a moment, oh, what it would be like to have their gifts. But if you're going to have their gifts, then you need to be prepared to have their calling. If you're going to have their calling, then you need to be responsible to have the expectations that God has on them. And if you're going to have the expectation that God has on them, then you better be ready for the judgment that comes based on the potential that you could have because of the giftings that God has given to you. I just want to be Fred Michaud. You with me? I just want to be who I am, who God created me to be. And it's going to be a lot less than a lot of people in the world. I'm okay with that. I just want to walk in the shoes that God made for my feet. And the shoes that I'm walking in, the shoes that you're walking in, they're bigger than what you're wearing right now. Don't you love seeing kids walk around? I love to put on my daddy's shoes. Right? He had wingtips, right? Wingtips, they're, they're in the stores. Come on. I kept telling the guys when they were doing the makeover, I was like, how about some wingtips for this guy? Not, not these from The Hobbit. How about some wingtips, right? <laughs> Just saying. I'm a little bitter about that still. I'm working that out with God, that conversation. I love, and my dad's wingtips, they weighed just one shoe, probably weighed about 5,000 pounds, right? They were heavy, right? And I'd put those shoes on and try to walk around. That's what you and I look like to God all the time. Walking around in these big old shoes that we've not grown into yet. But you know what? They're your shoes. If you're walking in the right shoes. They're your shoes. And God wants you to grow into those shoes. And he's going to keep challenging you to grow into your shoes. He's not going to challenge you to grow into their shoes their shoes. He wants you to grow into the shoes that he has for you. There is a veil of grace in this world that you and I, we do not want it to ever go away. There is a veil of grace that remains, limiting our understanding, restricting our giftedness, boundaries to mysteries revealed to protect us from judgment that we could not withstand. I'm going to invite the, those that are going to be giving us the special tonight. So last weekend we ended our service reading out of Philippians chapter 3. I want to start where... We began last weekend, but I'm going to keep reading. We stopped a little bit short because of where we were going with the message tonight. But in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, right? Because Paul's saying, I'm still growing into my shoes myself. Or that I have already reached perfection. Oh, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. We belong to him. He's wearing the purple, not us. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's see what he says here. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. That's Paul just in a really nice way saying, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong and God's going to help you figure it out. Right? See, you got to learn how to be really nice when you're saying those things to people. Right? People are reading this letter and Paul's so kind, right? 
Listen to what he says. But we must hold on to the progress that we've already made. In some translations, it's rendered this. Let us, let us live up to the truth that we know. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, may you live up to the truth that I know. He doesn't say, may you live up to the truth that Barnabas knows. He says, no, 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 just, just you. What God's shown you, reach for that. Live up to the potential of your life. It's going to be different for everybody. That's okay. You can't compare yourself to the people around you. Just, just to what you know God's asking of you. And so for some of you here tonight, you've been walking around in life and you know who Jesus is. You don't need to sit through any more sermons to understand that he's the savior of the world, but yet you're not yet fully living up to the truth that you know. There's still a moment waiting for you where you step in and make a vow of devotion to Christ. That's how we like to say it here. Where you step into a moment where you say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you died for the sins of the world, especially mine, and I don't understand everything that this means, but I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. I'm going to bow because you're greater than me. You're wearing the purple, not me. I want your will to be done in my life, not my own. And all of a sudden, Come on, in that moment, we take what we like to say, our first spiritual breath, and the Spirit of God comes alive inside of us. Some of you have that truth, but you're not walking in it because you've yet to bend your knee to the authority of Christ. For, for some of you here, you've got giftings and talents that you are not putting to work in the kingdom of God. For some of you here tonight, that God has gifted you in ways that, that, that you're still not sure how you should put those things to practice. Hey, we'll help you figure it out. You with me? Not, not because we've got all this work to be done, because we know what it's like to walk in the fulfillment of pouring out your life to see other people, like a four-year-old child, get on their knees and pray for the first time. I'm just telling you, there is nothing in Christmas that you're going to get that's better than that. For some of you, you understand your gifts. You understand your talents. But for whatever reason, come on, you're just holding it back. God would say, come on, just live up to what you already know. Just live up to what you already know. For, for some of you here tonight, you've been angry at God for a long time because you feel like he's putting you off. And I hope that tonight you can walk away from here with just this incredible sense of peace, saying, God, I trust you. That for whatever reason, you see that I'm not ready. And instead of trying to break through this veil that you won't lift, I'm just going to be content to be on this side of it because I know that it's a veil of grace, not of anger, not of judgment, not of frustration, not of disappointment. It's a veil of grace. It hangs in between me and my dream, not because you've forgotten me, but because you love me with an unspeakable love. In Jesus' name, come on, let's listen together.